We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. So before we get started today, I wanted to give you guys a little heads up. So if you did respond to my tweet that I put out talking about doing something special for you, all of our great listeners of Setting the Pace, we have a special treat for you. So Fachi, on June 9th, we are going to be doing a live Zoom conference call with one of the, the legends of Pacers Twitter. And who would that be, Fachi? The one and only Chris Denari. Yes, Chris Denari from Fox Sports Indiana. You know him from his flossing video that Born Ready 2 Pie plays every time the Pacers win. He will be joining us for a Q&A, and we have contacted him. He said that he is good to go, he believes. Now, there are some things we need to let you know. He cannot answer questions about transactions, stuff like that. So if you're asking questions like, hey, should the Pacers trade this person, that person, he is not obligated to talk about that stuff. So make sure your questions are specifically about the team this season, prior seasons, uh, being a broadcaster, commercials, whatever you want to bring to him, but he has uh, volunteered to do it. And if anything changes, we will keep you up to date. But I think it'd be awesome for all of you guys that are listening to join us for a live Zoom conference call so you can chat with Kristen Aaron. I think it's going to be a very exciting time. I wouldn't miss it, so I really hope you guys don't miss it either. All right, everybody, let's get to the podcast. Nine seconds, eight seconds, seven seconds. Oladipo to win it. Another one! Another one! Another one! 
What is going on? Pacer Nation, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on your favorite Pacers website, PacersTalk.net. And speaking of PacersTalk.net, Fachi, we really haven't been pumping out any articles, but I, I think we might have a chance to start doing that if the, the playoffs come back. I think so, because you know the Pacers are going to be a mainstay in the playoffs. We will be there. It's just a matter of how long. And you know what? That doesn't even matter right now. When we've been without basketball, because most of us would kill for playoff basketball. Seeing these Pacers back at it, if anything, you got to look to the bright side. Oladipo and Brogdon, they're healthy now, or at least healthier. <laughs> well, and let me ask you this, because we've been watching the last dance that concluded on uh, Sunday night last night when we're recording this Monday. So I have to ask you, you know, can you imagine watching the playoffs without any fans? Cannot. It, it just it sounds like a crime. I mean, playoff basketball is just it's one of the best things in all of sports. I just feel like for the the people who the Fairweather fans who missed the 82 games during the regular season, they love playoff basketball because the intensity is just dialed up. But without fans. I wonder if it would still be that intense, or is it kind of like a glorified scrimmage where you know it's just hard to really imagine. Right, yeah, and then that's kind of where I'm at. It's like I can't really imagine it, but it's also like where I can't imagine them just jumping in to the playoffs without any you know sort of exhibition games, or even if they try to do a portion of the rest of the season over a couple of weeks just to kind of try to get their bodies back in basketball shape because – if they're going to just come from not playing at all to go right into the playoffs, I think these guys are going to be a little bit rusty. Whoever wins. I know we've already heard Shaq try and say, you know, scrap the season, it's too much, or that the Spurs didn't actually win in 99 and there was a lockout. But, no, the show must go on. Maybe you trim it down to, you know, 20 days worth of training camp, I heard. That could be rumored around. And then maybe, like, five regular season games if we can't get the 18 games that you know we were were promised going into the year yeah that's that's one of those things where i'm just not sure what to expect or how it'll go about but i am excited and right now if you're looking at the playoffs uh seedings the pacers would be going up against the miami heat in the first round and Fachi, how excited would you be for that matchup I would be ecstatic because that's the matchup that all Pacer fans want to see. It feels like unfinished business since we never got to play out that March 23rd game, I believe it was, circled on Jimmy Butler's calendar. And Alex, tell me if I'm wrong, but I had been saying it. The Heat were that team where I think they peaked way too early. In the beginning of the year, they were hot. And I think something like this, I think it hurts them. Whereas I think the Pacers... You know, Oladipo's now had literally about two months of extra time to get back to, you know, the the form that we saw him in the previous two years. And I think that you're looking at two teams that, you know, the Pacers have been able to get healthy. I feel like the Miami Heat, sure, you're able to acclimate Andre Iguodala more. But give me Oladipo and Brogdon getting back to health over like a 35-year-old Iguodala any day. You know, that's the thing. Iguodala's not getting any younger. So mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things where I'm actually pretty excited to, to see this matchup, especially if Oladipo is going to be healthy. you got Brogdon healthy. Hopefully the whole entire team can be healthy outside of Jeremy Lamb. But I, I do think that it would be a difficult playoff series. But 
I'd put my money on the Pacers just because I feel like you know they've ha- they have enough guys that have been in playoff moments where the Heat are pretty inexperienced outside of Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, you bring Iguodala, and we mentioned him. So, sure, you got Jay Crowder, too. They just picked up before everything went down in the trade deadline. But still, the nucleus of their of their young core, Bam Adebayo, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, um, what's the uh, James Johnson Jr., is that his name, or Derek Jones Jr.? I can't. Yeah. I'm, I'm so confused right oh, now yeah, with their yeah. roster. They, but, they had James Johnson for quite some yeah, time. Yeah, they traded so they him. Still, they, they traded, traded him, him, actually, so in the Jimmy. Timberwolves, I believe. Yes, it was that three-team trade uh, with, uh, with Jesse Whistler. Maybe he's Grizzlies now. Grizzlies. Right, right, yep. right, right. But they had Derek Jones Jr., is who I was thinking of. I couldn't think of his name for a second. But, yeah, all those guys are pretty inexperienced as far as playoff moments, and so this would all be a new learning experience for them. And I really think – that could benefit the Pacers who have had had guys like a Justin Holiday, TJ McConnell. Those type of players have played in big moments in the playoffs. I completely agree. I also want to see the difference. I want to see if it's visual to see who's been working and who hasn't. Because there's got to be some players that fall off with this gap, like this, this break in basketball. And then there's got to be those players that you know have been able to ramp up the speed and really get at it. I mean, from what we know, obviously he won't have the same resources. But from everything we heard, Victor Oladipo was working out like a maniac when he was rehabbing in the beginning of this season. So you get the feeling that he's still been doing all of that. And and I feel like he is probably the player, above all, that you feel like this time off would benefit. You know, obviously in the rest of the East, you had like Ben Simmons had the back injury for a while and Embiid. Sure. Whatever, but I feel like Oladipo is the guy above all who needed just some extra time. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Victor was starting to play a little bit better too, which stinks because we weren't able to see that chemistry mm-hmm. develop and come together. But at the end of the day, you give a guy some more time to get healthy after that gruesome of an injury, and you're just grateful that the guy's back and healthy. That's all that matters at the end of the day. So. Anyway, it'd be interesting to see. Right now, we would be seeing the conference finals if everything was normal. And I think I saw somebody yesterday, so it's probably Monday. It'd be sixty-eight. It's been sixty-eight days without basketball, Fachi. I just, <laughs> I just can't imagine. You know, I, I wow. Who, that's who, who was the first time that? I've seen the number thrown there? Yeah, they threw out a Taj. Gibson. I never. I mean, honestly. Yeah, they threw out a what Taj, Taj Gibson, Gibson picture because he's number sixty-seven on the Timberwolves, and they said we're this many days oh without God. basketball. So I couldn't believe it. I was just I was just stunned seeing that. I was like, has it really been sixty seven days? I'm like, it's probably about right. It did quit in March. We're already at the end of uh getting close to the end of May. So it's it's been that long and my goodness, I have kind of gotten used to it. I hate to say it, but I have. I know. It really is sad to think we actually have gotten used to it. The first like I remember the first like week or two, I mean, I was stunned. I felt like I was like, look, maybe let's let's give it a few weeks. Like, we'll be fine. And then we made it into a month. And then April 15th was supposed to be the only time I got to see the Pacers live this year. And it's now been over a month because of that. And, I mean, it, that feels like an eternity ago. So right. that stinks. Right. Didn't get to see the boys live this year. <laughs> I know. I'm sure you're, you're missing out on that. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I am because every year I get to see them, you know, once or twice a year because obviously I don't live in Indiana. So whenever they come close enough, whether it's to Washington or Philly or I'll catch them in New York when I go back home. But just this was the first year in over 10 years and you get to see them and uh, man, it stinks in the end. Absolutely. Well, 
I know we kind of briefly mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, The Last Dance. So, Fachi, I know you've been watching it every Sunday night for the last five weeks. We've been able to see two hours of a basketball documentary about Michael Jordan, who many consider the GOAT of the entire basketball world. But last night was very special for Pacer fans because this was The Last Dance, and we got to see the the Pacers series in the Eastern Conference Finals of 1998 highlighted in episode nine of the documentary. So I know you were ready. You had your popcorn and you were on the couch watching it. I saw, I saw babe was posting about you going pretty crazy on, on her Instagram story. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this Fudge. Oh, of course. Of course I was going wild and you know, all my non pacer friends that they're texting me because that, that's how I like to kind of draw attention to it. That, it took this documentary to get my like non-Pacer fans to be like, oh, wow, man, like Reggie was clutch back then. Or like, oh, he didn't back down. Like, it got other people to remember just how good the, the late 90s and that stretch. I mean, Larry Bird even said it himself. That might have been their best shot at winning, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But just to see that team again, to really take Jordan to to the the end. I mean, basically, Reggie's talking about – I was confident we were going to be the team to eliminate him. And to get the ultimate like respect from Jordan to say, basically outside of the Pistons, the Pacers gave him the toughest battle in the 90s, like that's as much of a compliment as it gets from MJ. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. And, and we look at Michael Jordan and we say, wow, this guy was incredible. I mean, the things that he did were just so fascinating. Multiple game winners playing through sickness, you know, always trying to find something to give him a competitive edge. And to hear him say that the Pacers, I mean, it was funny when they were talking about the Supersonics, I believe it was the week before, Gary Payton's like, yeah, I told Coach to put me on on Michael so we could try to change things up defensively. And, you know, I locked him down, and, and he just, like, laughs. He's like, no, he didn't. He was like, we were up three games to one yeah. or three games to oh, whatever it was. He's like, I wasn't worried about Gary Payton. But he said, no, the Pacers really did scare me. And – there's a couple things that I wanted to highlight. I mean, they really they really highlighted Reggie Miller's game-winning shot and mm-hmm. Michael's, you know, close miss that he had at oh, the end of Oh, very close. Right. I mean, you know, you're talking about that. You got Jalen Rose. I think Jalen Rose might be one of the best storytellers as far as – I mean, you talk about Jalen and Reggie. Those two are fantastic storytellers when it comes to reliving mm-hmm. moments in the NBA. I love hearing them talk. But I was a little bit disappointed, Fachi. There was three things that I really felt like they missed out on. And um, if you want to hear them, I will be more than like uh, glad to share them with you. Start from the top. What's the first one? Okay, the first one is how in the world did they not mention Reggie Miller's ankle injury that he suffered in Game 2? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they clearly – I mean, I guess they can only bring up so much, but that's definitely a key factor because you're talking about the Pacers drop those first two games and, you know, while Reggie being injured. Right, and so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, so they didn't highlight that the Pacers' best player was hobbled after game one, I believe it was. Maybe he got hurt in game two, but I know when I watched game four, they were talking about how Reggie was trying to play through the pain. It was a game-time decision, and you see him hobbling uh you know all throughout game four especially so it might have happened in game three but regardless i was still shocked that they didn't bring up the ankle injury at all number two i was really disappointed they didn't bring up game six because game six was a horrible reggie miller game rick smith goes 11 for 12 carries the paces to that to that win and they just kind of like said oh yeah they split back and forth i'm like well you, you got to remember 
Rick Smith absolutely torched the Bulls. Luke Longley, Dennis Rodman, nobody could match up with him. And he really gave them fits. So I was disappointed that Rick Smith did not get his due in this documentary. And once again, he was completely overlooked. And and then lastly, I, I was so disappointed that the the Pacers, Reggie said, I feel like if we get that jump ball, I know we win that game. And I'm like, okay, hold on a second. You literally said if we get that it jump ball and like we go down and six, score seven minutes left. <laughs> Yeah, six minutes left. There's when like that six happened. minutes left in the game. Sure, they hit a three to tie it, but at the same time, you said if we get that jump ball and we go down and score, I think we have pretty good control of that game. I'm like, okay, like let's not hang our laurels on that. Like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> you know, I didn't. You're talking about the case. a five point lead with six minutes to go against Michael Jordan, you know, Sky Pippen, Rob, all of those guys. I mean. That is that lead is not safe. Oh, right. you know, just MJ at the last part of the documentary. You know, they're trailing by like five or six against Utah when he, mm-hmm. you know, hits a huge shot, strips it, and then hits the game winner. No lead is safe against MJ. So uh, I could definitely hear you on that. But you wonder, you wonder how true it was that maybe when Kerr hit that three and they tied it. I mean, they said all the momentum went out of the building, yeah. and maybe for the Pacers, maybe they believe that. And that's that's tough because just momentum and faith in there. Man, sometimes it's you already lost the game at that point, and I wonder if that is what happened. Yeah, I, I really don't know, Fudge. It's it's interesting to say, but I mean, I saw that the Pacers got a little bit of credit for how good they were, but at the same time, they really kind of just overshadowed the Pacers as a, a serious threat, in my opinion. And oh, one other disappointment that I brought up uh, that I forgot to bring up was I was highly disappointed that this was the only series that the Pacers and Bulls had in the playoffs. I feel like this could have been a lot more interesting than Pacers-Knicks because I feel like roster-wise with who we had, now I know that we only got one year of it because Chris Mullen came over that year in 98 playoffs, but if the Bulls would have came back for 99, I think it would have been between us and the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals again, and that would have been a really, really fun series because – I think the Pacers at that point would have had more of an edge. And there's a possibility with your friends. I think so. Your, no, your, your New York Knicks fans that always try to come at me on Twitter. I don't even think I yeah, replied to them yesterday. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm no, not you even didn't. dealing with them. I'm not giving them the pleasure uh, of, re- of responding. But I'm saying they don't make the playoffs. They were the eight seed. If the Bulls make yeah. the playoffs, the Knicks don't even make it. And you're Everything's talking Pacers. different. You're, ta- you're talking Pacers-Bulls probably once again for 99, and I-, I think the Pacers might have had the upper hand at that point. You're talking about a Pacer team that, I mean, obviously that three-year stretch, you know, from 98 to 2000, those Pacers teams are just so good. You know, three straight conference finals. But you're talking about the Bulls probably don't have Scotty. You know, maybe they don't have Robin. Sure, you know, you could play that, but they're not going to have at least one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, then... You know, you're also talking about the Pacers. Just, I, I just feel like obviously it's a freak situation that went down with the Knicks. But I feel like Reggie, in the end, could have been the one to point. And it's just interesting to see Larry Bird in his first year say he felt like that was their best chance to win it when he's going up against Phil, who obviously is going for a sixth ring at the time. But a couple, one stat I, I wanted them to bring up that they didn't. Um, the Pacers went two and two against Chicago in the regular season. Mm. So 
pretty interesting that in the end, the Pacers go five and six against the Bulls. Sure, it's not a winning record, but I don't know an OJ five times in one season. I mean, that is just ridiculously rare. So, but also one thing when I was diving into that game seven, Pacers were out rebounded by nearly 20 in that game, and Chicago gets up 20 more shots. That hurts in a five point loss. Oh, yeah. I mean, rebounding is the story of the Indiana Pacers. I mean, even though they had monster rebounders, it's just offensive, the offensive glass, Dennis Rodman, was a problem for the Pacers. And, I mean, they showed a highlight of it. I forget what game it was. It might have been game one or two. But Luke Longley just blows by Rick Smith with a left-handed dunk. And I hated Luke Longley. I'm not going to lie. I thought he was really un- unimportant to that team. I mean, mm-hmm. very – I agree. You know, and one person that I really hated from that team that nobody really talks about is Ron Harper. And yeah, he uh, he went to be on with Phil Jackson once again with the Lakers and we played the and played the Pacers in the 2000 finals. And I always felt like having Ron Harper over a, over a smaller point guard like uh, like a Steve Kerr in a sense for the majority of a game hurt the Pacers because you know he was able to square up with Mark Jackson or, or, or switch everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, Scotty Pippen guarded Mark Jackson for a lot of those games and, and Michael would probably guard Mullen a lot of the time. So he wouldn't have to expose so much energy guarding Reggie, but I mean, pretty much him and Harper could switch everything. So I just think matchup wise, I mean, they were really well balanced and Mark Jackson was not speedy. And we saw that, especially in the 2000 run, where Larry Bird played Travis Best quite a bit more than Mark Jackson. It was Mike Jackson and him split minutes, 24 each, because Best brought a different dynamic as far as being smaller and be able to blow by people. And they liked that matchup with Derek Fisher compared to Ron Harper out there on the court against the Lakers back in 2000. But anyway, it's just I, I'm just glad to see the Pacers get some credit for, for pushing the Bulls to seven. And I did think that they did get credit because I was watching uh, you know, Get Up today on ESPN, and they were really actually highlighting the Pacers as an actual threat, saying like, you know, Mike Greenberg was saying that he really did feel like in that moment that the Pacers were going to win that game. And then they brought on Jalen Rose and Mark Jackson. They got to talk about it, and they were saying, you know, no doubt in their mind they thought they were going to win that game. And I just really love chippiness they showed like when MJ throws the ball at Mark Jackson or Reggie how had the utmost confidence and you know the previous kind of whatever you want to call it a battle or when they were going at it years prior where you know MJ throws like a punch and he's grabbing his face it's just like that's the Reggie that I love where it's like come on he didn't just like idolize MJ like that and want to be like his best friend he wanted to beat him and and that is like what I miss today is where when the getting got tough, people didn't just leave and just join, you know, the guy that beat him. You wanted to be the one to beat him. And I'll always respect that from Reggie Miller. Uh, sounds like uh shout out Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of going off topic on that, did you hear Bob Myers was basically saying that in 2018 when they won the title with Durant, it wasn't as joyous because it felt like at that point that it was business. Like that's what they should have been. Yeah, I, I saw that, and it was really it funny. never feel like that. Well, what I thought was funny was Kevin Just, Durant's comment. title should never be like that. I know. What do you say? I, I missed that. Well, Kevin Durant commented on the Instagram post and wrote, he looks pretty happy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure you know he was happy. To, to, to say that was kind of interesting. I wonder why you really reveal a comment like that. 
Is it to be like a, a shot at Duran? Is it no, just something that comes up? You know. I think Bob Myers uh, has done a great job of assembling the Warriors team, so let's not discredit that. But when you get superstar talent like Steph Curry and you get a guy like Kevin Durant to join him and you know, you go out and get a Guadala in free agency a couple years before that, you know, pretty much when you have a team that's that loaded and finally somebody says, Hey, I don't want to play with you anymore, it probably does hurt a little bit, you know? And you see yeah. how much, you know, losing hurt. They uh they got a lot of injuries up in that Rocket series uh, the year they lost to Toronto last year. And then of course Steph, you know, with his hand injury, Clay Thompson got hurt in the was did he get did Clay get hurt in the finals? I believe it was the finals. Yeah, it was in the finals. Game yeah. six. And uh Durant got hurt in the um in the Western Conference finals, I believe. So was that right or well, was he it came back the for, No, he came he did, but then he came back for the finals and then that's when he got hurt. He hurt like, himself again, yeah, like, right? Yeah, that's when it fully popped. So yeah. he got hurt against the Rockets maybe early in the series, something like that. Missed like two weeks worth of basketball. That's what I thought. Yeah. So I mean it's I don't know, Fudge. <laughs> I mean, as a pacer as a pacer team, you've always had to be the underdog, right? And it's ne- it's never where we've been the top dog. And part of me like looks at this Pacers team that we have now, just to kind of transition into look at the, looking at this team now. I like a lot of players on this team, but I don't think we have enough talent to win a championship. And that's not being pessimistic. That's just being realistic. And, I mean, I'm curious to, to see what you think about the Pacers with their current roster. I, I think it's like a fun, improved roster from last year. But this isn't a championship team. It's not. And people that were even saying conference finals, it's like, eh, come on. This is the team that could get out of the first round. And that is progress. That is like I'm at a point where I need to get out of this team could get out of the first round, but make no mistake. It, it would be a surprise for the Pacers to take down Milwaukee in a conference finals or, you know, beat the Lakers or Clippers in the NBA finals. Those teams are built to win a championship. You know, you, you could just see it. And when, the, the way that we've fared off against Milwaukee this year, it, it would be <laughs> I, I don't. I want to pick my words. Lightly. I don't want to be me. You cannot predict this Pacers team to take down Milwaukee in a conference finals this year. Yeah, that's 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 the truth. I mean, they don't have a Giannis type player. They have yeah. a coach that is, you know, really a good coach, but he he has struggled with certain, you know, situations as far as, you know, sideline out of bounds plays, uh, clutch moments, trying to figure out the right guys to put together, but. You know, I think system-wise, Milwaukee, I mean, the Pacers don't have that Giannis. They have an Oladipo, they have a Sabonis, who are all-star level players, but they're not to the point where I believe that they have that stud. You know, every team that wins a championship has a stud in the NBA. We look at the 90s. I mean, the, the, the years were the bad boys. Jordan for six, I believe it was. Tim Duncan was the 99 year. 94-95, it was Hakeem who is considered a top 10, top 15 player in today's NBA. And then you jump into the 2000s and you got Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe <laughs> winning a majority of oh, the yeah. rings. Uh, <laughs> then you include the the um, the Celtics, who had a great team. So, I mean, it's always been great teams that have won. The Pistons, of course, were a good dynasty. But I feel like the NBA was really down those two years that they won. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously you could always go back to that Pistons team, but outside, because that's the only one I can, for what I'm about to say, that's the only example I can think of. That's the only team I can think of that didn't have maybe a Hall of Famer on their team. I mean, when you look at the, even the Mavericks team that kind of came out of a little bit of nowhere, Dirk is literally a surefire first, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. You know, you look at even Toronto, like Kawhi Leonard is going to make the Hall of Fame when, when everything is said and done. This Pacers team, there is no one even remotely close to being a Hall of Famer on this team right now. That's no knock at these guys. That a Hall of Fame is of the best. And right now the Pacers don't have that guy. They don't have an MVP, a Hall of Famer, that type of player. And I think if you're not going to have that, you need two All-Stars. Yeah, you, you need it. I mean, even Toronto that won the championship last year, outside of Kawhi, Kyle Lowry is an All-Star. You know, while I think he's a lower tier All Star, he is an All Star nonetheless. And Siakam is a great player. So you're basically talking about what was like a big three at the time. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing it's like a lot of times when these teams win championships, they have a top five player at that moment on their team. And, <laughs> you know, whether it was the Bulls, who probably had two top five players in the league with Scotty and Michael. The Lakers had Shaq, who was clearly the best player during that era um, in the early 2000s. Kobe's coming into his own with a bunch of veterans. Robert Ory, Glenn Rice, Ron Harper, Derek Fisher starting to come into his own. You know, they they had a lot of solid veterans. I believe A.C. Green was on one of those teams. I didn't play a lot of minutes, but he was still a guy that had been there before. So you just look around and you, and you realize, yeah, the Pacers probably do need a couple more proven veterans. Now, we did talk about McConnell and Justin Holiday being veterans that have experienced playoff success with their current teams. But I'm talking like how the Pacers brought in a guy like Byron Scott in 94 when they made the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the kind of player the Pacers need to really bring off the bench. Someone that's been there, that's an adult in the room, and that can really help carry them in, in situations when they need it. Not to be, ex, you know excellent not to be the star player but they could also use some grown-ups on that on that bench to try to help balance out the team and I still think we're a couple players away from really becoming a championship level team but I think this team could you know possibly upset a upset a Milwaukee uh in a playoff series maybe by maybe a game or two but I don't think they're going to win a series you know they, yeah. they might be able to steal a game but a series I just don't it, think it, they have the dogs to do it Exactly. When you said upset on Milwaukee, I was going to ask, is Giannis playing? Because, <laughs> you know, and then, I mean, that's the key thing. Because, I mean, the Pacers, if you remember, they barely beat Milwaukee earlier this year in the game that he didn't play. Pacers were up by like over 20 points, yeah. nearly blew it. Um, and then that was scary to see because with Giannis, it, it went ugly. I guess are not at that point yet. I feel like they can get out of the first round with this team. It's just a matter of. How can we get better from here on out? Because the way that the, the, the contracts are, we need to get better from internally or it's going to have to come from a trade. Yeah. Um, it, you know, obviously, Jeremy Lamb might not even play next year. Yeah. So that that's going to hurt. I mean, you're talking about what easily could have been our sixth man for next year. You're going to need to totally be playing meaningful NBA minutes. And you're going to need Vic to be Vic again. So... The, the backcourt of Vic and Brogdon that we've wanted to see all year and only saw it in a small dose, like it still feels like a to-be-continued because there is a lot of potential there, and I'm excited to see it. 
Well, you bring up a good point about Jeremy Lamb, and here's the thing. With the season kind of being put on hiatus right now and extended, we're not sure exactly when the playoffs will start. So let's just say the playoffs start uh, the beginning of July, right, or or whatever. That means it's probably going to run through the end of August, which means they're probably not going to start the next year's season until at least December 25th, Christmas Day at the earliest would be my guess. So that means that Jeremy Lamb is going to have a little bit more time like you mentioned earlier, with Oladipo getting more time, Lamb's going to have more time to get healthy from that injury. But I I hate to say this because I don't like to knock a guy when he's down, but I really think that he could be a really valuable trade asset to help bolster this roster. If you could, if you could pair him up with somebody, try to get some more bench depth or, or even a better quality starter, I think that that'd be worth looking at, especially now, like I said, with the season being a little bit extended. I agree, and I, but I do think that it would have to be to a tanking team. I think, I think so. a team that's willing to, to take on Jeremy Lamb, knowing that he probably doesn't play next year. But here's the thing. It, you, like Just like you mentioned, if this does start around Christmas, that does give him the up around March, you know, something like that. Maybe, you know, April like could be that. That'll be, you know, just over probably, you know, just over a year, probably like 13, 14 months since his injury. Um, but the thing is, are we going to be able to have the luxury to work Jeremy Lamb back into the lineup when he hasn't played in about a year? It sounds like there's going to be other guys who are rising to try and take those minutes, like an Edmund Sumner or, you know, just guys who have been fighting for minutes and maybe carved out more of a role. Sure, I threw up something there, you know, got a soft spot. But, you know, I, I mean, I'm, we're all still waiting to see it. But at the same point, there's going to be some guys that have been in the rotation while Jeremy Lamb hasn't. That's that's a fair point, but you got to remember a couple things. One, does Justin Holiday resign with the Pacers? That we're not sure of. Two, I mean, this is Victor Oladipo, so it's a lot you know more of an important player. But when he came back, I mean, he automatically got minutes, and everybody had to adjust to it. I think Jeremy Lamb they'll kind of ease him in back back into things, but I can't envision Edmund Sumner taking that leap. No. You know what I mean? I, I think Aaron Holiday could. Aaron <laughs> yeah, Holiday yeah. could. I, I think that Aaron and Edmund are kind of competing for minutes because you're going to have Malcolm and you're going to have TJ McConnell at the point guard position. So Aaron Holiday is going to be competing for those off guard minutes. But, you know, I think Aaron Holiday is somebody that the Pacers could also look to trade to. And he's obviously been some somebody that people have asked about over the last couple of years. The guy can play. He's not an all-star level player. He's not really a starter level player, but he is a very quality backup. And if the Pacers don't really see minutes for him at that point guard position, they could look to wheel and deal him, package him with a Jeremy Lamb, or you know, if they decide yeah. to make a decision between the two bigs, they could package one of them with the, one of the bigs and, and just try to bolster the roster. Because I think if the Pacers can get seven quality players uh, as far as people you can trust to play both ends of the fo- end of, ends of the floor. Then you make a trade. You know, for example, you know Miles can play both ends of the floor. Sabonis is decent on both ends of the floor. TJ Warren's gotten better. We know Victor can play both ends of the floor. Malcolm can play both ends of the floor. But McDermott, somebody like that, really a defensive liability. You know, that's the kind of thing where McConnell can be kind of an offensive liability at points. So it's just if you can get seven quality guys, I, I think that'd be the goal uh, as far as for the Pacers. Now I got a question. Is is Jeremy Lamb going to become exactly what Doug McDermott was last year when we texted and do the ESPN trade machine 
where Jeremy Lamb's involved in just about every deal because his salary works. Because last year, it seemed like no matter how we looked at it, Doug McDermott was always involved in some fantasy trade just because the money worked out. You know, Jeremy Lamb, like we mentioned, he's got that $10-11 million per year. It really allows you to be able to attach an Aaron Holiday and bring back someone who's right around, you know, roughly like the $15 million mark. So it is going to be appealing, but I feel bad for Jeremy Lamb at the same time because you know how Pacer fans are. We're, we're, we're dreaming. We're dreaming right. of what, what what could get us over the hump. Right, and so I'm not saying I would do this trade, but I'm just saying, for example, because I know the contracts would match up, if you were to put Miles Turner's contract with Jeremy Lambs and trade for a guy like Drew Holiday to reunite all the Holiday brothers, you know, the Pelicans are saying, hey, we're not really trading Drew for Jeremy Lamb and Miles Turner. We're pretty much just trading Drew for Miles Turner, but we need the salaries to match. So they would be more accepting of taking on a player that they would hope could become something at the end of his contract, but know that he's not going to be someone they're going to use. And they also have a bunch of young talent that they're wanting to probably play above him with the guys they like uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I believe they drafted him last year. And they've got J.J. Redick, Lonzo Ball. Mm -hmm. You know, they have wing players, so they don't really need him to be healthy. But it would make more sense salary-wise that that could work. I mean, that's something where I could see it happening. I'm not saying I would do that trade, so please don't think that's what I'm saying. But just giving an example, if that's what they were deciding to do, that would make sense while you would throw Jeremy Lamb in there if you attach him to a piece that the people want more so, and that helps him get off a bad contract. Like You could even look at a, a team like Orlando, who has uh, Vucevic uh, and um, Fournier, who have really expensive contracts. Now, if the Pacers wanted to trade somebody to get Vucevic or Fournier, I mean, I would rather do Fournier because I think he's expiring next year, but I think it's like $18, 19000000 million. Well, you package... You know, Jeremy Lamb and, you know, let's say, you know, Miles Turner or something like that and get Vuce and get uh, whatever his face is. Um, what am I? Why can't I think of his name? I just said it. Fournier. Good grief. And uh, maybe bring back my guy Terrence Ross to get some shooting or something. You know, it's uh, that's just kind of what I think could be the case. If So, yeah, I mean, it's just you just throw random things out there. You're trying to get off contracts to get players back and you include contracts that you know don't really necessarily mean that much to you but i do think that the pacers value jeremy lamb yeah no i mean hey it wouldn't be a a setting the pace podcast if a little terrence ross or you know aaron gordon didn't make his way in there somewhere so i I do appreciate gordon this time i I know i know but i had to throw him in there once orlando magic come up you know i knew that would get you excited (laughs) But, you know, at the same point, it, it is interesting to see because when we haven't played basketball in so long, you start to already – it feels like the season's done. You start to think, like, what's next? And the fact that we're still grasping on to the, the remains of this season, hey, it's getting some of us by. I do think that we're going to play ball in the end. And I'm just curious to see who's been working and who hasn't because hopefully I think we're going to find out soon. Alex, I could be wrong, but I believe the NBA is expected to make a decision on this within the next couple of weeks. I want to say it's about a week or two away. So I don't know when they're going to target, but uh, we should have some answers soon. Yeah, that'd be great to see. So anyways, um, we'll keep an eye on that, Foch. And once we know, we'll make sure that we come and talk about it on a podcast. But with that being said, I am moving here next week. So we are going to take about a week break so I can get moved in. And if you heard the quality on this podcast, it had quite a few internet interruptions. And so 
I'm hoping to get that internet problem fixed when I moved, get out of this crappy apartment internet situation, and get into a better situation with my internet. That way we can give you guys the best quality content that is available. So I do apologize for that, but yeah, Flotch, I'm excited for it, and um, I hope that uh, you have a nice little break <laughs> and do something fun. Oh, of course. Hey, one week off, you know, not not too long. So, hey, listeners, we will be back, but you know, it always, always helps to recharge the batteries and for you you know move in be situated and uh it's exciting times alex absolutely and i i still will be coming back this thursday this week with kent sterling we're going to do a top five podcast once again and our list this week will be the top five moments of the season so that should be pretty fun and if you have any if you listen to this podcast and you have any that you want me to you know, consider shooting my way at Alex Golden NBA, or you can message us at setting the pace three on Twitter. Our DMS are open for any and all Pacer fans. And you guys can follow my man Fachi at underscore F A C C I on Twitter as well. So until next time, Pacer nation, we hope y'all have a great rest of your week and peace out. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.